Jeanette, is she Ishmaelet? Ishmaelet Aaron Edwards. That is Gaelic for welcome, hello, um, and good day. I welcome you all here. Uh, my name is Aaron Edwards, and my pronouns are they, them, and theirs. This is Inspiring Insights number 35. That's right, our, our 35th episode, and I'm so, so happy to be sharing some space with you all tonight. Uh, let us know in the comments uh, or the chat. Uh, for those watching the replay, let us know where you're tuning in from and, and what brought you here today. I would love to know a little bit more uh, about you and and uh, it would it would help, you know, to kind of create this space of learning and listening if um, everybody could really hold intention as we share some some deep, deep thoughts, which I'll touch on in a in a second. So myself, I'm an uprooted Newfoundlander. I have um, Irish and Welsh descendants. I grew up on the rock and I honored the tundra and the forests of the Beatuk, who were actually a people who uh, suffered and were consequently erased by the disease of colonial conquest there. Um, now, of course, Newfoundland is home to Mi'kmaq, Innu, and Inuit folks. And I am the offspring of two teachers. So I recognize, you know, in this space of learning and wellness that I have a lot to learn and much to step into in my own teachings. And now I take up space in Tuckeronto. I teach mindfulness and soul coaching on a, a global scale. And, you know, I'm very blessed to do that on the on lands that have been traditionally tended for by the Anishinaabek, uh, the Chippewa, the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Mississaugas of the Credit. And as a newcomer, you know, we're all called here to invite, uh, and, and we are invited to lift the one spoon with everyone else that lives here. Um, this land that, that I take up now is actually within the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Treaty. And so within that, I commit to respectful collaboration, uh, representation here on this podcast. And just as I have invited, have been invited to lift the spoon, I invite others to do the same now as, as we weave a, a different world of possibility in wellness and in healthcare. And what that means for me is decolonizing my language, um, my career, the ways in which I think and I act about medicine, about mindfulness, about wellness, um, and, and healing in general, you know, recognizing that my, my thin body um, stature has, has granted me privileges in ways that I have probably never acknowledged before um, because we live in a world that rewards thinness. And of course, that means you know, using my voice on this platform for change and to actually break that cycle. And so if we could look back on the, in recent centuries, or maybe not so recent, but we see a really interesting shift in the ways that culture views health. And that of course has gone hand in hand with how predominant culture has seen bodies. You know, also pending on media, um, public figures at the times, geographic location, where you are in earth, um, you know, our bodies and especially women's bodies have been kind of noted to be valid only if they were for maybe example in ancient Egypt, which was around, you know, a thousand years before common era as this kind of symmetrical, slender, narrow body size. And I'm thinking now to, you know, around a hundred common era where, uh, to the Han dynasty, where we see, uh, the bodies of folks, you know, who were more desirable as pale, um, slim, but had large eyes and actually um, smaller feet. 
And then fast forward again to about 500, the year 500, where people were, you know, considered to be healthy if they were actually plump and full-bodied. And then again, going a little bit further into maybe the, the Renaissance period um, of around 1500, again, people were considered to be a little bit more healthy if they had fuller hips, uh, kind of a rounded stomach and a quote unquote ample bosom, <laughs> especially speaking in terms of the woman's body. And then fast forwarding again to about the year 1900, um, where we also see, you know, women and bodies portrayed as kind of fully figured, kind of more desirably plump, um, but of course with a cinched waist and that, you know, in that Victorian England period, we know that the wearing of corsets was very popular at that time to kind of cinch that waist. And I mean, in this century alone, uh, the 1900 and, you know, the past, past 100 years, we have gone through so many different phases of, of body cultural awareness and paradigms, you know, starting, I think, thinking back to the 20s, where kind of the small chested, um, small waisted figure was more admirable. And then thinking again, more into the 40s and the 50s, kind of in Hollywood, uh, Marilyn Monroe era, of you know the large chest the curvy kind of hourglass shaped bodies being that kind of cultural norm keeping in mind again that like a size 14 in marilyn monroe era was like probably equivalent to like a five or six <laughs> these days um so again it's not that um you know although she was considered to be like larger than most it's um still you know well within the kind of cultural norms that we experience today and consider today and then in the 60s, uh, kind of gave way to the more kind of hippie body, you know, the thin kind of slimmer, long legged look, um, almost adolescent look. Um, and then into the 80s and the 90s, where we get this kind of supermodel era, you know, this kind of um, thin toned, tall woman um, who was considered to be like the most desirable person. And of course, we have like health healthcare and medicine and technology kind of going along as as we see all these trends like going and flowing into one another and i think that really kind of leads us to where we are now uh, or maybe in the in the past decade um this kind of popular kind of flat stomach uh this term like healthy skinny you know like large breasts but not too large large butt if you don't have a big one, make it bigger. If you have a big one, make it a bit smaller, but keep the thigh gap, you know, all these little things where th there's kind of like several nuances now. And now as we explore, we're kind of uh, getting more into the the anti-bias of, um, of healthcare and of bodies. And so looking today to explore a little bit more from the medicine side of things and the healthcare perspective on that. So Aubrey Gordon, and I, I love Aubrey Gordon. She's an amazing um, writer. She has a blog and she said, I wanna quote her, despite healthcare providers extensive training on the mechanics of our bodies, the training is modeled on the realities of thin bodies and rarely teachers provide to confront their own bias. In some cases, it may even enhance their bias. Over the last two decades, especially, 
the, there's a growing body of research that has indicated a frightening trend of anti-fatness among healthcare providers. So, you know, I think podcasts have uh, so much potential for healing. And in, in light of the health at every size conversation that we're about to have, uh, as many conversations we have here on the Inspiring Insights podcast, I just wanted to share, you know, a content warning um, for the next hour. Um, I think we should be able to come to these spaces with our full consent um, to listen and to maybe even share. Um, and it's not, you know, people who come into these spaces and talk about their experiences. Uh, we appreciate that. And, and we want, you know, this space to be as, as safe as we can make it and also very courageous. So, so thank you. And that kind of leads me to my next point. Uh, of welcoming in our guests today, Dr. Samantha Cloutier and Shaquille Hibbert. Thank you both so much for being here. Oh, so honored to be in space with you. Uh, let me go ahead and read your bios and then we'll get right into it. And of course, as folks, you know, like hear something uh, out there in the audience, if you, if you have like a reaction, like a little clap or maybe like a question that comes up or whatever, just write it in the chat. We will have time at the end for, for questions from the audience. So Shaquille Hibbert, welcome. Uh, she uses she, her pronouns. And Shaquille is a kinesiologist with a degree from the University of Manitoba. She holds certifications as a personal trainer and a group fitness instructor. She's currently a body positivity coach and clinical exercise physiologist candidate, working towards helping people become more intuitive with their bodies. Shaquille has been providing personal training and health-related services, focusing on empowering women to create a loving relationship with their own bodies, while developing a healthy lifestyle using her mindful positivity system. Thank you, Shaquille. And we have uh, Sam Cloutier here as well, and using she, her pronouns. Sam is a naturopathic doctor, a mental health advocate, a public speaker, and a researcher. She owns an integrative health clinic in Fort McMurray, Alberta, where she operates her private medical practice with a focus on mental health, addictions, and queer health. Her research interests include addictions, uh, bipolar and schizophrenia, and anti-oppressive healthcare practices. She also sits on the Pride YMM Committee in Fort McMurray, Alberta. Woo! Let's give them a little round of applause, maybe some claps. Uh, I know you're all on mute, but uh, thank you so much both for being here. And I wanted to start off, um, you know, with that little kind of like back through the centuries, and I hope that was kind of useful as, and that was, you know, I admit more of probably a, a Western, <laughs> you know, even lens looking back on that. Um, probably even more white, but um, that's kind of what's available right now in the in the research and in even just the literacy, if you do a Google search, that kind of thing. But Sam, I was thinking that we could start off with a little bit more around the terminologies that um, that we use today, because I know you're, you're coming from an academic background. So if you could kind of maybe tell us a little bit about the acad academic terms that are used versus the kind of like social media or community terms that we use today. Yeah, absolutely. So my colleagues and I wrote a paper actually on fat phobia and medicine and these kind of concerns. And that was the first thing that I noticed was that in published medical research and peer-reviewed research, they're using different terms. They're using terms like obese and overweight um, and the BMI scale and things like that. And vastly in the activism community, 
those terms are kind of condemned. In fact, research in that community says if the doctor uses the word obese, that person is unlikely to return to them. They don't want to go back to that doctor. So here we have these medical terms and even published research saying these are the terms to use. This is what people want to hear. They want to hear these medical terms. And then the community themselves, who we should be listening to, is saying don't use these terms. So many people prefer the term fat, like they just say that's a neutral descript descriptor, that's who I am. Um, so many people use that term. The term I personally use in, in research and discussion is folks in larger bodies. Um, that term's not really perfect, like just saying folks in larger bodies, it's a lot of words. So in comparison to, oh, they're thin, they're fat, it's a person in a larger body. So it's not perfect for that reason. It's also not perfect because it kind of feels like you're a thin person and you're stuck in a larger body. And that's not really it either. But given, in my opinion, that sometimes fat can be used to harm people and insult people, I find it difficult to use that word as a straight sized thin individual. I don't want to align myself with the negativity that sometimes comes with that word. Um, the community is working on reclaiming that word and using it to describe themselves. To me, it, it kind of parallels how queer was reclaimed. In the LGBTQ community, we use the word queer and it is just a descriptor. I use it on myself. Um, and that is how it looks to me. And it seems like perhaps the word fat is not quite there yet. Um, that's my impression of it at least. So one more definition is one I said just now is straight sized. This comes from like the fashion industry and straight sized is basically just not plus size. So straight size we use because not everyone identifies with thin. So many times you'll say thin and people are like, I'm not thin, I'm not thin. Um, or you'll say average and in Canada, average is not straight sized, it's not thin, it's plus size. So that's why we use that term. Okay, thank you. That's actually very useful. And um, the first time that I'm hearing straight size, uh, which makes a lot of sense, I think, you know, for identification purposes. And and Sam, you mentioned as well that, you know, you have uh, recently published, or it's not published yet, right? It, I believe, is coming out this month. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, may, maybe we can start as well, just because you touched on some more academic to uh, topics and terms. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from writing that research paper? The biggest takeaway, I think, was first of all, the discrepancy in terminology between the community with lived experience and the peer-reviewed research. That was a huge takeaway for me that I was surprised by. The second one was when my team and I submitted our proposal, we submitted it to a journal who wanted to do an entire, an entire edition on um, diversity, human rights, accessible healthcare, these sorts of things. So the whole edition was going to be on this. So we submitted our proposal. I thought the research saying that this is a problem, we have to talk about this. I thought the research was pretty watertight. Um, and the feedback we got was, are you sure it's a problem? And mm. I thought, it's so clear it's a problem. Um, but they said, okay, well, you know, can you prove that there are enough naturopathic doctors out there that are fat phobic and that are harmful to larger bodies and that are discriminating on social media or otherwise um, towards people in larger bodies? And I thought that's bizarre to me. Like if even one naturopathic doctor said something racist or homophobic, we would talk about it and it wouldn't be like, oh, it's just one, like whatever. Mm. Whereas this, it was kind of like, uh, is it a problem? And I was surprised by that. 
Like it's, it feels to me like amongst the community, even on this edition that was like, let's talk about these problems. It was like, this isn't the kind of problem we want to talk about. Mm, yeah, I'm uh, like, even just, yeah, <laughs> the one, if there's one person, you know, that's um, creating hate or maybe not even knowing that they are, uh, yeah. but maybe realizing it, you know, how can that be, <laughs> how can that like already be put into the research, right? If nobody's even stirring that pot. True, but even the research I felt was there. Like we came in with sources saying this is a problem. Mm. And the sense I was getting was, but, you know, we are so ingrained in this idea that weight and health are so intertwined. And if we take away weight loss from the naturopathic community, then what are we, what do we have? Like, that's a huge sales thing for a lot of naturopaths. It's just a huge way to make money. Um, it's a huge draw to naturopathic services. And I wonder if maybe even the editors on for that article were kind of like, oh, I don't know if we want to touch this. Mm, good point. Yeah. And, and to your point in the wellness industry, Shaquille, I, I have a question for you about this because, you know, as a personal trainer, as someone who literally helps, may help people, quote unquote, lose weight. Um, what are your thoughts on that? You know, what's, what's the general industry like for you at this point in time? Uh, that's a great question. I think it's actually quite surprising what Sam was talking about, because it's so clear that there is an issue around um, general practitioners as a whole and having a bias towards people that have larger bodies. And in the personal training industry, it's 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 very clear. Everyone, or I shouldn't say everyone, a lot of people, a lot of my clients come to me because they want to lose weight. They want to be in a smaller body. And there's when I try to dig deeper, they don't even want to get deeper. They're just they just want the smaller body don't care about the health side of things, don't care about the mental health side of things. Um, and so it's a very clear issue. And I find that um, being a kinesiologist as well, so being in the middle of personal training and the medical community, there's such a huge disconnect uh, with what health means and how it's represented. And I think the research needs to go further into it so we can start polarizing what we've had for decades around um, what is healthy and a healthy body and all that. Definitely. And it's, it extends beyond um, the kind of white patriarchal uh, hierarchy kind of way that healthcare has been developed in, right? And we need to, we're seeing now that we really need to look beyond that. Um, I'm wondering also, Shaquille, while we're on that topic, do how do your own clients um, perceive your body as a health symbol? Like, are they attracted to you because of the way you look? Uh, what is that for you? So I have had uh, different experiences with that. Uh, when I first became a health coach, I noticed this because I was very much deep into diet culture and I was aware that I had a bigger body and still went through weight loss 60 pounds and still found that I was in a bigger body compared to other fitness professionals and so when I would sit down with a client who specifically wanted to lose weight back then when I was working uh, more in the weight loss industry 
I remember having almost this tension between me and the client, um, especially if they were in a smaller body than I was already and they were asking me about weight loss. And so I always had to start my consultation explaining I went through a 60 pound weight loss and then they almost like released and took a breath. They're like, oh, okay, so you can help me. So it's almost like just looking at me and the body I was in, they're like, she can't help me. She doesn't have the body that I want. On the other side of things, I am working more with body positivity now, and I'm finding that I am drawing in more people that are tired of dieting, that are in uh, street-sized bodies, and they are feeling more comfortable sharing with me. They're more comfortable with the fact that I've went through a weight loss and I am completely comfortable in my body. And they're like, I want to be there. I don't want to be just strive for the smaller body anymore because I've done it. I've tried it. I did the diets, keto, all that fun stuff. And I just went backwards in the end. So I've had two completely different experiences and it could be because of where I was focused as a health professional. Yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for sharing that. And and Dr. Sam, for you as well, you know, what what's it like uh, for you being in this space? Um, and and how are your patients and clients like coming to you and perceiving you uh, as someone who you know is doing this sort of um, anti uh, diet culture work? It's a good question because I feel that although I really try to represent myself as an activist in this area, so many people in my practice on their health goals is weight loss, like every time. And, and it's like Shaquille said, there's resistance to, but that won't even really get you any further with your health, or that's not even really sustainable, or that's not really even relevant. Like there's resistance to that. I mostly do mental health and no matter what, probably 70, 80, 80% of my patients, when I say, what are your health goals? They'll say more energy. And I want to help with the depression, depression, anxiety, and I want to lose 25 pounds. And it just feels like no matter what, that's like tacked on in culture. Like you always want to lose weight. Like that should be a goal forever to just weigh less than you do now. And I think people kind of see me in the body I'm in and think, I know the answer. I know the secret. I'm doing something that got me where I am. And I'm not like, I don't really exercise. I don't count calories ever. I'm not doing anything that is like a secret to being this size. I have to say that I'm, I'm, this is genetics probably like, and whenever I break that to them, it's, it's like disbelief. Like they're like, but you know, I could do the lettuce buns on burgers. And I'm like, you absolutely can if you want to, but I don't think that's going to solve all your problems. And that's not even why you're here. Mm. Totally. I think we've been, you know, pardon the pun, but we've been fed a lot of bullshit. Truly. <laughs> Truly. And, you know, I hands up everybody out there in the audience, you know, who has seen this kind of power dynamic between you as a patient and either the doctor, you know, or your exercise professional or someone that is telling you that, you know, weight loss has to be the first step. And I think that's, yeah, basically everybody, right? It's it's so, so prevalent that we see this, this kind of paradigm just like without even thinking about maybe what the person's goals are, <laughs> you know, if it even is their goal and why is it their goal if it is. 
Um, maybe someone, you know, has a wedding coming up or something and want to look at in the photos, blah, blah, blah. You know, what is that? And are we challenging ourselves and maybe challenging our patients enough to, to create and maybe flip that paradigm upside down, right? What is that? What, how does that look like for both of you? And I'm, I'm curious, you know, to really dig deeper into this power dynamic, um, especially, and maybe not for yourselves, but for like the whole, if you could speak on a, a more like what you see in your industry. Yeah. <laughs> Chacal, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll start. <laughs> um, so with what I'm working with right now, I'm trying to shift people's mindset. So um, they think about feeling good first. And um, weight loss is like, it's like we're shifting that entire like triangle upside down. Weight loss comes with shifting your mindset and shifting your habits, but that's not the focus. And I find that that has been a game changer for my clients, whether they're trying to act actually lose weight or not, um, because weight loss it, it varies, it's frustrating, it doesn't align with if you had a full salad or a burger that day, or if you went to the washroom or not, it, does, it, it just does not line up. And so it becomes very frustrating. I'm sure many of us here have, you know, went on some type of diet or have tried to get healthier and, you know, ate salads for a week and our weight was the same and then maybe ate a burger and it went down. It just doesn't correlate. And so with focusing on more health practices, <laughs> yes, the shame game is real. <laughs> um, on focusing on more health practices, it becomes more of a positive place. So it makes it easier to eat healthier options. It makes it easier to go out and move your body because you enjoy it. And just making it a positive place means you'll do it for longer. And if you're looking at weight loss for health reasons, the weight loss will come with those actions and you're not stressing about what the scale says. And in regards to you know, the medical side of things, your numbers, your blood sugars, your uh, cholesterol levels will come into check with those changes as well. Whereas with weight loss, those numbers may not even change if you're not following a proper healthy lifestyle. So that's my take on it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I'd add like in the medical world, so many, it seems like in Fort McMurray in particular, so many people like Aaron said, go to their physician or a clinician and weight loss is so pushed on them. And I feel like a large part of my job these days is to remind people, sorry, there's kids yelling in my apartment, like complex, um, is to remind people that if their doctor is not doing their due diligence because of their weight, that is absolute medical abuse. Like people have been denied imaging for knee pain. People have been denied fertility treatments until they lose weight. Like it's really problematic. And so I see a large part of my role to remind them about how to be an advocate for themselves or even let them know in the first place that that's mistreatment um, in the medical community. And actually maybe this is a good time to, I wanted to share a story written by my friend and colleague, Sarah, about the power dynamic between a clinician and a person who's in a larger body. And so I asked Sarah to write something for this podcast because like I said, as a straight-sized individual, I do not have the experience even when I was at my heaviest to really speak on this. Um, and Sarah has been a friend for a long time. Her and I worked together for years as well. Um, she's a small business owner of Brazen Betty Co. She's a nutritionist, an advocate. 
Um, she's white, fat, cis, straight woman, and she has a chronic illness. And her goal with this story was to kind of just share her experience in hopes of advocating in kind of small ways for fat people across the entire spectrum of social inequality. So I wanted to read this. As a fat woman in the obese category of the BMI scale, I've experienced many instances of weight stigma from medical professionals. One such instance happened recently with my orthopedic physiotherapist. Let's call her Sophia. I had been referred to Sophia by a sports medicine physician, and we had spoken about my issues with tailbone pain, which began with an injury during dance class over a year ago. Since injuring my tailbone and struggling with sitting all day at a new desk job, I had begun to develop low back pain as well. For months, I had been consistent with walking several times a day, stretching, and keeping up with physio exercises that I was already doing for pelvic physiotherapy. I spoke to Sophia about all of this and other factors I believe to be contributing to this new back pain before we began treatment. After a few sessions, I expressed my frustration that I wasn't seeing an improvement yet. I asked, what do you think is causing this? Instead of an explanation of body mechanics, posture, muscle fatigue, ligaments, or some other physiology lesson, I heard, well, if we could just get you to lose a few pounds. My heart sank. I wanted to be open-minded to this explanation. After all, I'd read that weight could be a contributing factor to back pain, but I couldn't help thinking that I'd been fat for most of my adult life and had never had back pain before. I knew many fat people that did not have back pain and many thin people that did. I knew my movement patterns and lifestyle had been very much affected by the last several lockdowns and my tailbone pain. I felt stress diffuse through my body and a flush in my face. I took a breath before responding, I've tried losing weight in the past and it hasn't been sustainable. It's not an option. But she must have taken this to mean I hadn't figured out the right way to lose weight and began suggesting various diets on which her friends had lost X amount of weight. I tried again, this time an educational approach about how diets don't work and that we gain back the weight because our bodies try to protect us. Sophia seemed exasperated and snapped, well, maybe your body doesn't want to be this way. My heart beat faster and I felt my mind shutting down. Fortunately, I was able to connect to something deep inside as I lay on the treatment table. In a desperate attempt to shut the conversation down, I calmly uttered one sentence. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Sophia laughed nervously and quickly changed the subject. The dangerous subtext of her assertion that my body doesn't want to be this way is that it is a moral failing, that I'm not taking care of my body and that being fat is something I did to myself. She is ignoring the harm she's causing my mental health and ignoring her own bias, which is impacting the quality of treatment her fat clients receive. I get the message that my body is wrong and I haven't done enough to control it. It is unruly and I failed to hear, heal myself through sheer force and discipline. The message is that if I can't lose weight and keep it off, my health issues are my fault. After this appointment, I was too disheartened to do my exercises. The very thought of our encounter sending me into an emotional tailspin. I went back to Sophia once more and felt nervous and uneasy around her, and I haven't been back since. Thankfully, another physiotherapist who has never commented on my weight is treating me, and I'm slowly seeing some improvement. I have many other stories like this, and so do my friends and family. Our experiences are real, and we need to be believed. Medical weight stigma affects our lives, and many fat people avoid going to the doctor or getting necessary treatment because of the impact on our mental health. For many fat folks, especially those on the larger end of the spectrum or with multiple marginalized identities, the barriers to proper care are immense and often lead to more illness and death. Health and weight are so intertwined in our minds that we can't see the harm in recommending weight loss for fat people.
I can't blame those who want to lose weight to avoid the oppression of being fat in a culture of extreme anti-fatness. But the answer is not to place the burden of obtaining thin privilege on fat people. We need to dismantle the culture of oppression that dehumanizes fat and disabled bodies. To paraphrase Virgi Tovar, my life wouldn't be easier if I were thin. My life would be easier if this culture wasn't committed to oppressing me because I'm fat. Thank you so much for sharing that and being a vehicle for Sarah's voice. Yeah, I was I was really quite touched by that writing and it it really I think highlights the damage of even one offhanded comment. You know, you really you really see that these people don't they don't want to go back to that clinician that said, you know, well, you could lose a few pounds or you are in the obese BMI category, things like that. Yeah, for sure. And it speaks to that issue, right? Let's not point out the the people who, you know, the people aren't necessarily the problem. Like the, I, I think it's more like the pattern, right? The, the place that we're in right now. And, and we need to really, she's, Sarah's touched on so many, so many things and this morality of wellness as well um, really, really hits me deep and touches me deep. And I wanted to get your thoughts too on this kind of, this aspect of morality. And if it's someone's responsibility, where do we kind of put that responsibility um, to, to be and exist? You know, Shaquille, you touched on this and like, how can we be in joy more really step into our joy and live our lives the way we want. You know, it doesn't matter the way we look um, or, you know, what, what matters is like that way, how we feel, right? And this morality, Does, do, do either of you have uh, like any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, my first thought is we have to put that on society. Like it's exactly like Sarah quoted, it's, it's on society to not oppress those individuals rather than on the individual themselves, not to exist in that body. But you can see how insidious it is. Like we were just talking before the podcast started, there's good foods and bad foods and clean and dirty foods and healthy and unhealthy. And we have these labels for these foods and it's, it's, they're not even attainable. Like in the nineties, fat was the unhealthy, dirty food. And, and now it's keto is everything and carbs are the unhealthy, dirty treat, cheat food. Mm -hmm. So it feels and it's true that diet culture is a tool of oppression that we cannot keep up with quite literally because it is designed to con continuously change so that we always have to buy new programs and new books and it feels always out of reach. It's meant to be like that. Any thoughts, Shaquille? Yes, so I 100% agree with what Sam said. I it definitely starts with society, but also I think um, people in larger bodies, um, I think, and I'm including myself in that category, we should step into our power. Oh, sorry, my puppy's freaking out in the background. <laughs> um, by living our best life. So eating the foods we like, balancing what we like, doing the exercises we love, um, doing our mental health practices and being in our bodies and showing, going to the doctor's office and saying, hey, look, my blood sugars are perfectly fine and I'm in a larger body, just to show you, by the way. And just starting to just represent that we can be in our bodies and completely healthy 
to start changing the narrative around it. So when health professionals try to test us in that way, we can feel comfortable representing ourselves in our bodies right now. And uh, that story you told by Sarah hit home for me, if you don't mind me touching on my, my story, very, very similar to that. Um, I was actually at my fittest, but that's besides the point. Um, at this time, I was still in a larger body and I went to the doctors. I was diagnosed with prediabetes in 2015 and that's when I kind of started my weight loss and health journey and so when I went back I had lost 60 pounds I was at my fittest at my healthiest I asked my doctor okay is there anything else I should focus on she said all of my numbers were completely fine and then said maybe I can lose a little bit of weight so I questioned that because I was a health professional I was doing all the things in a healthy way and I asked okay why uh, why do you think I should what is the purpose and I explained, like, I, I had just lost a bunch of weight. This is what I'm doing. This is my health routine. And she had nothing to say back. She said, okay, if you're already doing that, great. And up to now, I, I so wish I asked, what was the purpose? Why did you think I had to be in a smaller body if all of my numbers were good? If I got myself out of the prediabetes range, and I'm not even close to it, and there are no issues. So that's a similar story, and that really hit home for me because I went home feeling like crap. Um, and yeah, so there's definitely a shift that is needed in the medical community around larger bodies. Thank you for sharing that. And, and also, you know, speaks to why people literally stop going to see their practitioners, you know, from one offhand comment. And that kind of sheer discomfort, you know, of having to always battle that. Um, that, that's tough. Thank you. Um, I'm looking at the time. I feel like I have so many more questions to ask you folks. Um, if there's any questions that the audience has right now, um, start, you know, typing them into the chat and, um, we'll, we'll get into more of a Q and A really soon. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit on, uh, why weight programs don't work. Uh, and maybe relate that into these kind of times that we're living in, you know, the COVID times. Um, and I've seen a few people who, you know, focus on weight loss in particular in the healthcare industry, kind of almost using this pandemic as a, as a way to capitalize on, you know, oh, folks, you should really get more healthy. You should really lose this weight. Um, and I just wanted to, you know, as, as the audience gets, uh, gets prepped with their own questions, maybe we can, um, yeah, just touch on that a little bit. Um, your thoughts, both of you on, on maybe the, you know, how, uh, weight programs really aren't working and, um, also kind of bring it into this COVID space and COVID times we're in. I'm really glad that we are talking about this in relation to COVID because I think it highlighted something that was going on that just wasn't clear to a lot of people, which is that these programs are really taking advantage of people that are maybe uneducated or really desperate or really feeling the oppression from society or whatever's going on in their own life to do these programs and their research for rapid weight loss is, is not there. Like, even if people are able to lose weight, the evidence says that most of them will gain it back and probably more. 
And so suggesting that it's a solution to something like COVID-19, I think is just so toxic. And it really is either marketed as like, oh, protect yourself, like, you know, people that get COVID are more likely to have complications or, or die if they are overweight or have diabetes or have something else going on, a comorbidity, as we say. And that is either, I think, done with the intention of kind of taking advantage of people in a vulnerable situation that are scared or done in kind of like a, I told you so, I gotcha, like you should have done my weight loss program because you'd be good now, you'd be safe now. Um, or it's done to kind of comfort thin people and it's given thin people a false sense of security of, oh, you know, I don't have to worry that much. Like at, at worst, COVID-19 will be a flu for me. Like all the people with serious complications are the ones that are overweight in the news and the ones that have diabetes and the ones whatever. So it's giving thin people this sense of, eh, if I get it, it's not that big of a deal. And I think that that whole narrative is is problematic. Shaquille, maybe you have some things to add about the programs themselves too. Yes, um, that is so true about um, people in the fitness industry really capitalizing on COVID-19. Even when the pandemic started in the um, position I was working in, um, it, it was almost like the professionals around me were excited. They're like, okay, like this is it. We're gonna sell out. We're gonna capitalize on this. And I felt really, really uncomfortable with this. Um, and something I wanna touch on with these weight programs that they are promoting is that they, they have nothing to do with health. It's literally just about getting into a smaller body. And a majority of the time, it's these programs were created by people that never went through weight loss. Um, there are people that grew up with thinner bodies, grew up as athletes. And as a kinesiology student and graduate, I was surrounded by uh, personal trainers and fitness professionals that grew up in that way. And it, it felt almost uncomfortable for me if I were going to them for you know help for my health and they never went through the actual process. They grew up in a completely different way. Um, and then they're trying to promote, you know, their way of living onto me where I grew up completely different and there's no connection. There's no, nothing in between. And something that I've started to notice recently, looking back at my more fitness professional um, career, is that a lot of the workout plans and meal plans that are created, they're created more for people that are athletes, bodybuilders, bikini um, competitors, and they're not taking into account that, sorry about my puppy, <laughs> they're not taking into account that um, people will not normally want to count calories, want to count the calories, have the time to do that, work out for four hours, do their fasting cardio in the morning and a weightlifting session in the evening. That's not feasible for people that are into athleticism in that way. And that's really, really problematic because it makes it unrealistic for a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, Shikel, I want to like, you made such good points. And one thing you said is that it's about the weight loss and not the health. And I think this goes back to your point that you said earlier too about your doctor like saying, oh, the next step is more weight loss. And you just said, why? Like the health is in check. And I think that's another thing that's almost problematic in the, or for, maybe for sure problematic in the community is that there's this healthism idea that if you're healthy, 
like that's proves that you're fine. And, and in truth, even people that are unhealthy, even people with high cholesterol, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, like all these things deserve care and shouldn't have had, like, you had to go to your doctor and say, like, look at my numbers. They're good enough. Like the fact that the community even has to do that is kind of a problem. The other thing that I think is kind of drilled into society is like, oh, do all the healthy things, get your blood pressure down, get your blood sugars down, and then you'll lose weight as a bonus. And that always doesn't always happen either. And I think one thing that we can do in the medical community, at least, is be like, it's fine if you don't lose weight. Like, you know, as your doctor, I care if your blood sugar is okay. But in general, like you are still entitled to really good care, even if your blood sugar is out of control, even if you don't want to change your body. Like, I think such an important thing to add to that. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for saying that, um, both of you. And Puppy agrees with you, Shakel. Puppy agrees. <laughs> you know, I, I think we touch on this sense of like, uh, you know, these programs and even healthcare at this point, it's a consumerism, you know, it's a consumerist way of thinking that trains us to believe that we lack something, that we're not ever perfect where we are, and that we have to be somewhere else than where we are, right? And this is, again, like what my kind of framework when I teach mindfulness is like, we are so uncomfortable just being exactly where we are in our spaces, whether that be in our bodies or elsewhere, you know? Um, yeah, and I see Bunny's comment on, you know, weight loss in yoga studios and and how that is, you know, it contributes to eating disorder culture. It contributes to to so much um, anxiety, just even having mirrors around and, and that kind of thing, you know, comparing with other folks in your class and in gyms specifically as well. And, you know, I, I, I just, there's so much more we could talk about here. I really want to thank you both for coming on here and for being willing and open to share with, um, you know, your struggles and your journey um, in, in terms of, I think, being on both sides, right? Being uh, a client or a patient and then also stepping into your own and stepping into this uh, this new sense of power, this sense of like, okay, I'm in this healthcare industry now. How do I change this paradigm? And I thank you both for doing that, that amazing, much needed work. Um, does anybody have uh, any questions at this point in time? Feel free to come off mute or uh, write it in the chat. And uh, as folks are, are maybe thinking as well, just uh, quickly, if you could both maybe uh, write your like contact information or even just feel free to say your emails um, so folks can you know get in touch with you further. I'm putting mine in the chat. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Any uh, comments, questions from the gallery? This is a, a very great topic and I, I think we should probably do another one. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you both for sharing. I'm okay with silence. <laughs> uh, also, maybe we can um, 
and, and I do actually have one more question for both of you, but maybe we can just leave this space open for uh, both of you as well to share if there's any other, you know, last kind of takeaways um, from doing your own work in this, in the arenas that you're both in and that you're both experts in. And uh, if you have anything that like you really wanted to touch on that, you, that we haven't. I think one thing that comes to mind for me is kind of my, how I got into this type of activism in the first place, which was just understanding the full extent of you are not in control really of your size. Like, you know, the variance in, in weight is sort of like the variance in height. Like, and for me, that came about because I was prescribed a drug by my medical doctor that caused me to gain 40 pounds. And people were not shy about commenting about my weight gain. They would say, I'm so surprised or like, you must be doing something different or something like that. And then for, and it was a good drug. It was working for me and it was just worth it. Um, and even though I was so mired in my own diet culture and, and at the time so upset about the weight gain, the drug was really working. So in time, I went off it for a couple of different reasons and I lost those 40 pounds. And again, the comments came about, you look so good. What are you doing differently? You must have changed something. Good job for you. You did great, like whatever. And it almost becomes ingrained in your own head that you've done something to deserve this praise, that I did something different and I didn't. I, I just changed my drug. <laughs> like I didn't do anything different, um, but it was so deeply, so many comments of people saying like, wow, good work that I almost felt obligated to post like on Instagram a before and after picture being like, look at my weight loss. And I didn't do anything. Like I made no changes. And I was talking to Sarah, actually, I was talking about this with her because she was kind of doing a lot of activism stuff. And I said, is it harmful if I post something like that? And her answer was kind of like, well, what are you trying to achieve with that? What are you hoping to get out of that? What are you trying to prove? Why is weight even relevant to your story of having to change antipsychotics? Like, you know, so, and that was my first moment of, oh, this is not relevant. Like this, this isn't anything like, and I just think that that story is kind of how I got here. So I wanted to share that. Thank you for sharing, Sam. Um, I don't think there are any questions, so I'll dive into a quick story here as well. Um, I have many, many stories, um, but similar to yours, uh, well, not, not really, kind of similar in the fact that I had lost weight healthily, but then I ended up losing more um, due to a very huge stressor that happened in my life. And it, um, this weight loss that came about was the fact that I could not eat and um, I was not in a very healthy space. And the amount of praise I got for being in this, the smallest body I've ever been in was really problematic for me because on one side, growing up in a bigger body, I was like, okay, I did it. This is great. This is what I hoped for my whole life. Um, but also on the other side, knowing I am in the worst place I could be mentally right now. I have a lot going on. I'm not eating properly. I'm not healthy. Um, but people are assuming I am healthy. Um, and it's, it's hard to start changing that conversation while you're in it. It's like, do I take the time to explain that I am very depressed at the moment and not eating and explain that this is not good? Or just say, 
thank you. I didn't do anything good to get here, you know? And um, I, I remember getting comments where I did actually explain, okay, I'm not in a good place. This is why I had lost a little bit more weight. And jokingly, the person said, oh, well, I need to take on those tips. Ha ha, like being in the smallest body possible is the end or is the big goal. Um, so it just shows how problematic um, sizeism is right now in society. And I'm excited to be part of this big change that is very needed in our community. <laughs> Oh, thank you both so much for sharing those the, those stories. We maybe should have started with those. <laughs> I, I feel so such a strong connection to both of you, and you know, for for you to share that um, really openly. And I, I you know, it, it's a shame and it's unfortunate that your stories are probably very similar to so many others out there as well. So, yeah, it, it starts. Um, by just having conversations like this one, you know, and, and putting it out there and putting it, it out in the open and, and seeing what comes of it and kind of allowing this unfolding to happen rather than, you know, the fact that, you know, thinking that we always have to change something and, and be the ones to intervene. Um, yeah, even a comment in the, in the comment section there about uh, someone's mother, 83 years old, you know, just told me I had to start losing weight. Um, and we'll start her diet on Monday, 83 years old, you know, so people carry this their entire lives, this whole century, you know, this, it's, it's crazy. And it comes through lineage as well. Um, we, we have so much to heal, so much to heal. Jacinta, this was a very important conversation. Yeah. Especially in the health industry, for sure. Thank you. Um, maybe to end, we can, we can end on this and, and I thank you all so much for coming. Uh, we're here every Wednesday. This is uh, an inspiring insights kind of live podcast recording. It will actually again be on our YouTube channel, which is reawaken co inspiring insights. So everybody that signed up will, will get that link into your inbox tomorrow. Uh, but feel free to share it wherever and feel free to come back for, for more good, juicy conversations. And, uh, to end, uh, I ask you both. What keeps you inspired? That's a hard one. I like it though. I, I think the thing that I find the most inspiring is conversations like this and seeing people kind of show up to these conversations, really wanting to learn more, like the way I hopefully continue to do. And I love that. So thank you for hosting such an important conversation. I, I appreciate the invite and having the platform. So I'm inspired. Thank you. I would definitely say um, the upcoming of the body positivity movement is has been very inspiring because people in larger bodies are now um, dressing up in nicer outfits than what used to be in the plus size section and showing off their bodies without shame and coming in with confidence and still showing that they live a healthy lifestyle and they're feeling their best. So that's really, really inspiring to just show that you don't have thinness does not equal health. <laughs> mm. And thank you for this lovely platform to share on. Happy to be back and happy to come back and talk more. <laughs> 
Yes, folks. Uh, Chakel was actually on a previous episode, so definitely go and check that out as well. It's on our YouTube um, playlist. Uh, thank you both again so much, Chakel Hibbert and Samantha Cluche. Thank you again. Thank you everyone for being here. Uh, just a final note, if you're interested in feeling into your witchy kind of side, uh, I am trying to make my mindfulness practice way more witchy, way more pagan, uh, rooted in druidry and my Celtic lineage. If you have any interest in that, let me know. Um, I'm calling it the Air Witch Project. So, so reach out um, and, and I'll give you some access to mindfulness courses that I have uh, in exchange for your feedback on how to make it more witchy and more amazing. <laughs> so thank you everyone. Have a lovely evening.